Um, we have uh, just a few things to kind of catch you up on, and one of those is occasionally, from time to time, we do a family chat as a part of our worship time, and so I wanted to spend the first couple minutes looking at that. We're going to dive back into our series called Thrive, looking at the life of Daniel, looking at Daniel chapter 5, so if you want to turn there, you can go there, or if you want to get it on your smartphones through version events, you can go there as well. Uh, that's where we're going to get to. Next week, uh, Brian's going to be teaching in Daniel chapter 6, maybe a little story of heard of these lions and Daniel, and uh, it'll be real fun. And then we're going to wrap it up uh, that week. And then our good friend uh, Chris Collins will be here on the 20th of November uh, to teach and to preach, and, and you're going to love hearing from him. And so excited for you to, to hear that. So we've been uh, just as one of the pastors here, we've been doing this um, climate survey and seeking some input from you all and, and kind of doing a little family chat. And so if you're new here, this is just not unusual for us that you have family chats at your home, and so we do in our home too as well. And uh, we've been seeking some feedback, looking at some things. It's been about three years since we've done one of those, and so we've gotten a little bit of that. So thank you for helping us with that. We appreciate that very much. We got about 43, 45 kind of surveys brought back in, which gives us a snapshot, not a total assessment, but we wanted to keep learning as a church we want to live on mission and we want to be a church that's effective and we want to keep learning. And so part of that's learning and working with you. And, and so some adjustments that we've seen coming out of those surveys that you're going to be seeing around here. Just want to catch you up on a couple of those and then we'll move into the sermon tonight. So a couple of different adjustments that we're going to be making is one is we kind of heard, okay, a little a little dark. Um, and so we're like, okay, well, maybe it's too dark or so. So we're going to make it a little bit lighter in here, especially during the sermon time, but even during the first song as you're coming in and all the stuff because it's Tucson and everyone's runs a little late, right? I mean, that's just, we all do. So uh, we'll just kind of do that. Uh, Volume-wise, we're working on adjusting the volume so that it's full. We want you to have a full sound in here. That's who we are. It's part of who we are. Uh, But we also don't, obviously want it to hurt people. Like, that's not good. And so we're working on that. And I want to let you know, look, uh, I'm not an audio dude. Um, I work a radio really well. But what I know about audio is it's not like your radio in the sense that it's not like you just turn it down. Uh, that's, that's how I work it. But I know it's different between stage sound and uh, auditorium sound and there's competing. And it's just, it's, it's complicated, okay? So uh, we're going to be working on that. I want to let you know about that. And then one of the other changes we saw, we asked, remember, uh, for some time assessments from you guys working on some things, and so uh, we made a time change, was about three and a half, four years ago, uh, when we were still at Pantano, before we launched out to Midtown, we were meeting at six, and we moved it to 5.30 to kind of help with some younger families and encourage people to go out and and encourage people to dinner afterwards, and what we heard back from this survey and assessment with you guys is just, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for us to do something a little bit like that again. Uh, We do not feel called uh, to go to a Sunday morning service, okay? we had four people out of 43 plus that turned something in that said Sunday morning. And um, that's awesome, but we have not felt like God has said do that because it's, it's just not, uh, listen, we like being chocolate to everyone else's vanilla. Uh, because there's hundreds of churches you can go to in the morning, and we're trying to reach people who don't have church on the radar screen. And that's the mission of this church. And so we want to invite people into that life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I know of two churches that meet on Sunday night. And so yes, it's a little bit different. Uh, 
Uh, but we want to make an adjustment coming here in the new year. So you'll kind of maybe see this little logo coming around in the next couple months. Just new year, new time, uh, and the idea of just moving back uh, half an hour. So starting at 5 o'clock in the new year, okay? And what that means is like when the new year gets here, we'll start at See, you got it already. I knew you were a sharp people. And so what that's going to allow us to do is um, hopefully be a blessing and encouragement to young families who have the young, young and kids uh, to help them so they're out by 6.30, home by 7 type thing. And then also really encourage you. One of the things we saw in there is we just want to develop community and connect people. You sit by people because I know you. You're creatures of habit. Uh, I have a habit of standing here on Sundays. You have a habit of sitting there on Sundays, usually around the same place probably, and my hunch is you know people around you, maybe you've never gone to dinner. Um, hey, we're going to provide an opportunity for you to do that. In fact, on January 1st, we're actually going to have a shorter service that night, and then we're all going out to dinner. Um, over to uh, Speedway and Country Club, the restaurants there, Fresco's, Fresco's? and La Salsa and Starbucks will all be open, and we're just gonna do a giant, like, go out to dinner time on January 1st, because it's January 1st, okay? So, and the cool thing is, because you go to church at night, uh, you can go out on the 31st, and you don't have to get up in the morning. See how this works? It's pretty nice. So, um, that's some of those changes we just wanted to let you know about. Uh, also, a Bible reading plan. Uh, we know part of our job is to invite people into those first steps of faith, and constantly helping people in next steps of faith. And here's what every study I've ever read throughout history has said. People who spend time in God's word grow. That's how it is. I can't make it any more simple than that. So we thought for 2017, we want to tackle something together. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a uh, New Testament in a year reading plan all together. Um, now, I know some of you are already, like, guilt has welled up within you right now because you're like, Jack, I don't read. Um, well, that's okay. You're going to start in 2017. So I'm giving you two months to get ready for this. And when you forget a day, Jesus still loves you, okay? We still love you. There is no shame in your game, okay? Just pick up and go with us. And let's go on a journey together as a church family, reading through the New Testament and seeking God's uh, influence in our lives in 2017. Sound fair? The very last thing I'll just quickly mention is, uh, especially for any of you who are new, we do offering around here a little bit different. We don't kind of pass a plate uh, in our service. We have offering boxes in the back, and a lot of folks give online. And I just want to encourage us as we go toward the year end to be thinking about your year end giving. Uh, I know there's lots of opportunities and lots of things that call for attention, but I just, as one of the pastors here, I just want to challenge us all. The church is the hope of the world, period. We live in a day and age when hope is needed more than ever. And that takes tangible ways to express that. So giving away food on a Saturday is a tangible way to be a blessing to other people. Uh, being able to gather together, being able to do ministry from, from e-kids to students to everything that we do, it just takes a partnership to make that happen. We say this kind of tag phrase all the time, it takes real money to do real ministry, that's the reality of it. Uh, there's no Tinkerbell dust, 
that makes that happen. There's no magic behind it. And so I just wanna challenge and invite you to be a part of helping the mission of this church as we look toward the year-end giving and help us get into good financial footing starting into 2017 as we tackle and continue the mission that we have before us. So that's kind of the family chat update to give you. If you have questions, don't ask them now. Uh, you can ask your neighbor, I guess. Uh, but I would be more than happy to answer any of those questions. Find Brian afterwards, and that'll kind of get you caught up. We'll be, you'll be seeing like the five o'clock change. We just wanted to make sure you saw it and that you know the reasoning behind it before you like see it on Twitter or, or Instagram this week. You're like, hey, whoa. Um, so now you can like tell friends. Sound good? Awesome. So let's dive in. Daniel chapter five. Uh, we're in this book looking at the life of Daniel and give a little recap again. Remember, there's been this uh, siege on the city of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon has kind of taken over the whole city and they've brought back uh, 10,000 refugees, so to speak. The whole book of Daniel really focuses in on four, then Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we've been kind of seeing their story a little bit. And what we've seen in the life of Daniel is that Daniel is a person who's living with godly convictions, but also graceful interactions, meaning he's not a jerk about his faith. And so he's living this out in practical and tangible ways, and God's blessing's been upon him and upon his squad, and he's been watching over them, and they've had influence even in the midst of the chaos that they've been involved in, and the chaos that's going on around them. Remember, they went to Babylon University for three years, got trained, and they basically came out of that and said, look, we're gonna be in your world, but we're not gonna be of it. Okay, and they've, they've kept this health, healthy distance between being active in, but not necessarily warped into being a part of. And that's part of the challenge as followers of Christ. Now, I know you may be here, and maybe someone invited you because it was night church, they're gonna take you to dinner or something like that, and you're here, and maybe you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you're interested in spiritual things, and I think that's awesome that you're here. We wanna be a church where you don't have to be part of the convinced in order to belong here, and that you can be on a spiritual search yourself, and I would encourage you to search out what we see in the life of Daniel, this person who's living with these godly convictions that God really matters, in life, and it influences and changes how we do things. And so that's kind of catching you up a little bit of the story we've been in, and in Daniel chapter five, it's now 60 years later, okay? 60-ish, plus or minus, years later, after he's been taken captive. So this is not teenager Daniel, this is older guy Daniel, right? And here is what we have happening. We have a new ruler. Nebuchadnezzar has died off. He's gone into the sunset, right? And now we have a new ruler that's ruling Babylon toward the tail end of Babylon's reign. And they've been the superpower of the day. And this guy throws a party. Like, a party, okay? How many of you have ever been to a party before? Really? Makes me really sad, because not everybody raised their hand. So church is a party. Welcome, you're here. Okay, so you've been to a party. Oh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor. You got 30 seconds. Talk about one of the f your best parties you've ever been to. Like, what were you wearing? What was there? Was it a wedding? What, was it a uh, reception you went to? What was it? You got 28 seconds now. Go. One of the best parties you've ever been to. What kind of food was there? Was there music? Did you want to stay? Did you want to run? <laughs> Just One of the best parties you've ever been to. 
for those of you who quit the game already, I want you to think of the party in your mind. And here's what I want us to read. I want you to, to listen to what is going on as we start off in Daniel chapter five. Here it is. Many years later, this is 60 plus years later, right? Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. Anyone ever been to like a banquet of a thousand plus people before? A few, okay. A thousand of his nobles and they drank wine with them. Hmm, okay. So, while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, this is 60 years earlier when you ransacked Jerusalem and they took all the goodies out of the temple and they took them back to their temple. What are they saying? Our God kicked your God's butt. That's what they're saying. Okay, and so now they've had all this stuff in their temple of their, uh, their false gods there, this, uh, all this stuff from the Jerusalem's temple. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. It gets complicated. This is a party. Uh, it goes a little weird here. So, so they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and the nobles and the wives and the concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, there's been a few rulers that have changed as we look at Babylon as a whole, if you study history, right? So Nebuchadnezzar was the main dude that we saw, and then there's been a couple others, and then you hear Belshazzar. But here's what we know about history, is that the last ruler of Babylon uh, was Nabonidus. And Abaditus was the last ruler. In 539, when Babylon fell, he was the one that was a ruler. And then this is the chapter that people point to when they say to the Bible, look, the Bible's wrong. Because what name did I just read? Belshazzar, right? Well, that doesn't even line up historically. See, there's just these weird scribes that sit in a cave and they like just write stuff. And this is why the Bible's wrong. Until... About 200, 250 years ago, when the Chronicles of Nebuchadnezzar were unearthed in Babylon, and they were studied a little bit, and they come to tell of the last few years of his rule, the temples he built, the projects he undertook, and then, as the Medes and Persians were beginning to seize power around Babylon, guess what he did? He took off to Arabia, and he conquered some people there. Guess who he left in charge? Take a wild guess. Belshazzar. And here we have history proving the Bible once again. So for 1,800 years, people point to this and go, this is why the Bible's wrong. Until you can go to the museum in London and actually see Nebuchadnezzar's Chronicles and read for yourself if you understood the language. Here's what it's actually saying. So here's what's happening. Belshazzar realizes the Medes and Persians are gaining power around Babylon. So he decides to throw a party. Does that seem wise? Well, it does in his eyes. Because remember, Babylon is a six-mile, kind of six-mile big square, right? That has walls that are about 40 feet thick. In some places, 320 feet high. Wide enough at the top of those walls that two chariots could ride side by side. And so when you have walls like that, and you have moats in between, and you have a structure that says we've been the greatest superpower the world has ever seen, and nobody messes with us, then maybe he's throwing a party to help calm people down. 
What's fascinating when you study history is that even now, the Medes and Persian army is beginning to carve out part of the Euphrates River to divert it so that they can sneak into Babylon through the water passageways. And you're gonna see that by the end of this chapter. It's fascinating to begin to see and begin to put the pieces together. And so he's throwing this giant party. Why would Babylon do that? Well, the party rolls on. Uh, it's not maybe like your backyard party where like you're, <clears throat> you control yourselves. Um, this party goes crazy. Uh, like Vegas times 10. And um, they're not just drinking wine. There's lots of things <clears throat> going on uh, in this room. A thousand plus people, right? It's craziness going on. And then he gets this idea. Hey, I remember. Uh, your Bible might say that my father, Nebuchadnezzar, father, and think of it as a term like we, we, we talk about our founding fathers, right? They're, they were not your daddy. Uh, they're not your father. And we talk about them in history. That's what he's saying. Is I, rem- I remember uh, my father, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he got these things, these trinkets, these gold and silver cups, and so he asked for these gold and silver cups to be brought so that they can toast to their gods. See, we're still in power, and the arrogance is just dripping from these very actions of what's happening. And so wine is poured, and they're drinking from that. What's fascinating, if you're a Bible nerd, um, I don't know if you notice this in the text, but he asked for gold and what? Gold and silver cups. But only the gold cups are brought. Do you ever wonder why? I have no idea. <laughs> I have a theory. Remember the dream that Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar of the statue? And Babylon was seen as the head of gold, right? And that one day, that head of gold is gonna fall, and then silver and, uh, I forget, it's silver and bronze, I think, the chest and arms of silver, there's this giant statue, and, and what we understood at the time, what they didn't understand then, was that these are ruling kingdoms. They're gonna come and conquer, and then yet, there's gonna be the stone that's not cut by human hands that comes, and is gonna take out everything, and it's gonna be an everlasting kind of kingdom, not a kingdom that rules by threat, uh, but rules by love, really, foreshadowing of Jesus and what his kingdom is gonna be like. And so he asked for the gold and silver and only the gold come, maybe, because God orchestrated even that to point back to the reality. See, your time has come. And so all of this is happening and unfolding in this giant hall, thousand plus people, and then it gets crazy, okay? So, we put on Facebook this week, you ever heard the term, the writings on the wall? This is that, okay? So here's what happens, verse five. Suddenly, they saw fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand, light enough that you could see it. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright, and his knees knocked together in fear and his legs gave way beneath him. You ever been that afraid? You ever been that scared? Not like, whoa, but like, like the breath just goes out of you. The whole color, the, the blood kind of rushes out of your body, and your knees are knocking together. So debauchery to freak out mode, right? In a matter of 
a minute maybe for this guy. Now what's interesting is they just finished toasting their gods of silver and gold and stone and wood and this hand writes on the wall. That's weird, right? I've never seen that. That's weird. But why does he go to the emotion of fear? If you just toasted your gods, well maybe it's your God writing you a message. Unless your God has never done that. Ever in the history of mankind. Because false gods are exactly what they are, false gods. Fake, hollow. This is why Isaiah writes these words in Isaiah 46, to whom will you compare me, says the Lord? Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and gold and they hire a craftsman to make a god out of it. Then they bow down and they worship it. Then they pick it up and carry it around on their shoulders. And when they sit it down, it stays there. It can't even move. And when someone prays to it, it doesn't answer. It can't rescue them from any trouble. Do not forget this. Keep this in your mind. Remember this, you rebels. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is no other. Isaiah is trying to get something across. Look, there's all these things that you can put your hope in. But if they can't bear the weight of that, then what's the point? That's why I think throughout the scriptures we're called to put our hope in God because he can actually bear up under the weight of that. He is more than capable in any year, election year, or any other time in your life to say, I've got it. I'm not worried. And we can live in fear or we can choose to say, God, I'm gonna follow you and I'm gonna leave my fears with you because you're able to carry them better than I can. And in this moment, we see Belshazzar having a freak out moment because he's never seen anything like this. The gods that they toast have never answered such. And so he calls for his wise men and for the enchanters to come and interpret because something is written on the wall. And he wants to know what it says. And they can't tell him. And they don't know. And there's this murmuring and this fear level kind of goes from DEFCOM 2 to like DEFCOM 4, like to this major, major level for him. And the queen walks in and it's, the queen wasn't at the party. It's probably a past queen that's just been kind of left to be around. And she says, there is a guy that's interpreted dreams before. There's a guy that has been around this kingdom and and she introduces Daniel. And so he sends for Daniel and Daniel comes and he arrives. And Belshazzar says to Daniel, look, I'll give you like gold bling around your neck. I'm gonna give you a purple robe. I'm gonna make you the third highest ruler in the land. Why is it third highest ruler? Let me tell you, Belshazzar is the second highest ruler, why? Because he's kind of this prince king that was left in charge because the Bible's proved right again when Nebuchadnezz left. So third highest ruler, right? So Daniel, I'm gonna bling you out if you can interpret this. And Daniel says to him, you can keep your stuff. I I don't want your stuff, but I'll interpret it for you. So I just wanna read this section. It's a bigger section of scripture, but follow along with me. Here's what he says, verse 17. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts, give them to someone else, but I'll tell you what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. 
He made him so great that the people of all races and nations and language trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill. He spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor. And he disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. And he was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and lived among them. He ate grass like a cow. And he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of this world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. God's in charge. If I could say it like the Dos Equis man, stay humble, my friends. Daniel chapter five goes on. Daniel continues, you are his successor. O Belshazzar, you knew all of this. You knew all of this and yet you have not humbled yourself. For you have proudly defied the Lord of the heavens and the earth and have brought these cups for the temple before you. And you and your nobles and wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising the gods of silver and bronze and iron, wood and stone that you serve. Gods that neither can see nor hear nor know anything at all. And then I think the key verse in the entire chapter is this, verse 23. But you have not honored the Lord God who gives you the very breath of life and controls your very destiny. So God has sent this hand to write this message. And this is the message that's written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And this is what it means. Mene means numbered. God has numbered your days and your reign is brought to an end. So it's kind of think of it like a truly, truly. When someone says truly, truly twice, they like really mean it. Mene, mene. Your name, it's, it's numbered, you're done. Tekel, you have been weighed on the balances of the scale and you have not measured up. Parson, your kingdom was gonna be divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar, on his command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, gave him the bling anyway around his neck and proclaimed him the third highest ruler, um, which I'm sure Daniel thought, oh, that's great for six more hours, that's awesome. Um, because that very night, the verse goes on, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylon king, was killed. And the Medes and Persians invaded, you can read history, ransacked Babylon, probably with not even a whole lot of bloodshed, as they invaded through the water passageways and got into the city. And the rain is coming to an end, and the mighty Babylon will never be heard of again. And the kingdom falls until some little dude named Alexander the Great says, it's the Greeks' turn, right? So here's your history unfolding. It's crazy what begins to happen. So here's some simple takeaways. Thinking this week, okay, what does all this mean for us? How do we get handles around, what do you do with this? I think the first one is, you really gotta stay humble. That humility is not I think we said this last week, humility is almost like the grease that helps spiritual transformation happen. It, it kind of lubricates that in a way that as we live with humility, that uh, we're able to lean in and see God do things in us and through us in ways that maybe we never envisioned uh, or never even tried to plan. But when we begin to live a puffed up life, that's when things go sideways and things begin to detour away. Uh, second thing is this, we all live with danger outside of our gates. Uh, they had no idea in this giant party what was actually happening 
just outside the walls and just outside the gates. See, Jesus said, look, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and you may have life to the full. And Jesus is for you, friend, but there is someone who is against you and against me and against us, that there is a, a ruler of this world that doesn't wear a cape and isn't uh, like a super villain, but is a reality of what the scriptures speak of, of, of Satan or the devil you may hear of, that wants to influence your life and to sideline you from God's best. And if you're honest with yourself and you look back over your own history, you can see spots, sections, seasons of life where you fell for it, right? And you can look back, you can look back over the lives of friends and family members that you care deeply about and you can see how they got sidelined and and taken off from pursuing God's best. This is what Peter writes. He says in 1 Peter chapter five, says stay alert, watch out for the great enemy. He's the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You stand firm against him and you be strong in your faith. This is why community matters. It takes a church, a community of believers to say we're in this together and we're gonna help defend and protect and watch over one another. This is why when people stop coming to church or they deviate away, you become almost easy pickings. And that isn't a threat, that isn't to say, look, that's gonna, I'm just telling you from experience. That's when things typically will tend to go sideways or at least have a better chance of doing that. That's why the Bible says don't give up the habit of meeting together. Be connected to one another. Be invested in each other's lives as you live this way because the devil wants to conquer your life, detour your life, take it somewhere. And if he can't trip you up with the giant vices or the popular vices, then he may actually give you power. And he may actually give you dominion. And he may actually give you more because maybe he can actually detour you away and distract you away from pursuing God's best and get you into pursuing a whole bunch of other different things that aren't God's best. And so we're to stay alert, is what the scripture said. We're to continue to help one another. Third thing is this. What's written on his wall is written on ours. Maybe not that the Medes and Persians are gonna take your house, but... This idea that all of our days, if we're honest, if we just admit it, um, we're all numbered. All of our days are numbered. That you have a beginning date. I have a beginning date. December 18th, 1970. That's when Jack became to be. I don't know the end date, but I know there's gonna be one. My days are numbered, so are yours. And so in the time that you have, maybe the verse that stands out in this is the warning to Belshazzar. Verse 23, remember? But you have not honored God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. Learn to be a person who honors God with your life and your living, the best you know how in the moment you're in. Learn to honor God with that. That the theme throughout scriptures is that you're not writing your story God's writing his story. You're not the star of his story, but you have a role to play in it. And for many people, we can make our story our main thing and make it all about us. That's a really small movie. 
It's a sad movie. You're cool, you're awesome. But James says you're a vapor. You're a mist that's here today, gone tomorrow. First Corinthians chapter three talks about that all of our efforts, the things that we do, if it's just about building our story, it's gonna be weighed one day. And God's saying, hey, with all the talents and the abilities and the resources and the time and the energy I've given you, how have you invested that into my grand story? Or have you tried to write just your own? In essence, that's what the scripture is challenging. Each one of us. Your days are numbered. You have a beginning date. The end date will be there. What matters is what you do with the dash in the middle. That's your life. How do you spend your dash? Maybe you've heard this poem before by Linda Ellis. I'll read portions of it. Talks about living your dash, right? She says, I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noticed the first came, um, he noted that the first came to her date of birth and spoke the following dates with tears. As he said, what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For it mattered not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are, are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. So when your eulogy's being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? There's this challenge and invitation for us all throughout the book of Daniel. You can make it about you if you want. And you can make the movie all about you. It'll be a short movie. People will see a blip here and there. Or you can build into something greater, a greater story that's actually going on. And God's not looking for influential people that he can leverage. God's looking for faithful people that he can leverage their life. And saying, God, I'm not the star of of your movie. You got one, it's Jesus, he's big time. I'm just a role player. But I, I wanna have a role. And so would you use me in a role that helps move this thing forward. Philippians, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it's by grace that you're saved, not by faith, not by works, so, or not by works so that no one can boast about it. It's by faith, it's a gift of God, that you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. He's got things for you to do that I can't do, and things for you to do that the person next to you can't do. But he's inviting you to be active in the story that he's writing. So honor God with your life and with your living. To recognize, okay, God, uh, you're the real deal. And so as we move forward in worship, I'm just gonna close this in a word of prayer, maybe give you a second to kind of catch your breath and think about what's something that God kind of tapped you on the shoulder about? How are you gonna figure out, what is? am I honoring God with a dash that I've got? Because that's all I've got. I get this one shot at it. I got a beginning and I got an end and this dash in the middle matters. It matters how I spend it. It matters how I leverage my resources. It matters how I spend my time. It matters how I spend and invest my energy. It matters the gifts and talents I have and how I aim those and who I aim those at. It matters. And as we 
prepare to take communion. Uh, if you're new here, we do this kind of every week, offering it as an opportunity. There's a couple stations in the middle and a couple down front here, gluten-free if you need it. Um, and we just kind of create some space for you to think and contemplate. You're welcome to take communion uh, as a follower of Christ. And, and if you don't, if you just want to sit and contemplate, great, do that. Uh, and we're going to close with a worship song and then end with a, a prayer this evening, a couple announcements, praying for our Ecuador team. But that's where we're going. And I just want to invite you to take some space to think between you and God. Okay, God, how, what do I do with this? How do you want me to live my dash? Is there any changes that you want me to adjust in my here and now? And so, Father, I pray that you'd speak Holy Spirit to human spirit. It's an interesting chapter. It's an interesting look into a life of someone who threw a party in the midst of something that maybe in hindsight should have seen something different. And so, Father, would you have your way in helping us become a people that seek to honor you and how we live and how we conduct our life and how we invest our energies, how we invest everything that we have as a gift from you. God, we wanna use our dash well to move your kingdom, move your movie, your story forward in the life of Jesus. And we remember him, his life, his death, his resurrection. As he came and said, do this in remembrance of me. That the whole reason we're enfolded into your story is because of what he did for us. And we accept that and we lean into it. And would you help us this week to continue to move forward investing our lives for your sake. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.